If you're looking for a good model to follow in giving, look no further than Jesus. That's next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. From Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora, this is Abounding Grace. We'll be joined by Pastor Ed Taylor in a moment, who today continues our study in 2 Corinthians. We've decided to present a mini-series on giving as we're in chapters 8 and 9. That is the emphasis of this section of Scripture. When it comes to giving, God is more concerned with our heart than the amount. Remember the poor widow who gave two mites? Though that gift may not have caught the attention of people, it sure caught the Lord's attention in a good way. So then, what is the key to giving that pleases God? Pastor Ed suggests looking to Jesus as the supreme example. Jesus is the model to follow in giving. Jesus is the model to follow. Because we could stand up here and go, you know, it's been one long struggle as a church. I could easily say that. Many pastors could. It's been one long battle. I have countless pastor friends that have to work another job in order to provide for the needs of their family while they also serve full-time in a congregation that truly is large enough to support the needs of that family so that he could devote himself full-time to the ministry, but they're just not there for whatever reason. I have countless men uh, that are good friends of mine that as they look at that, they say, well, that's one of the needs of our congregation, but um, for whatever reason, maybe it's the economy that they're in or the community that they're in or whatever it might be, that they willingly go out and work and serve in the ministry because that's God's calling on their life. So we can't use a church's faithfulness to compare for giving. We have to use the right comparison that, that back here in Second Corinthians, Paul uses. He says, if you really want to know what giving looks like, you've got to look to Jesus. He was rich. He became poor so that you might become rich. And he gave and he gave and he gave. The supreme example of giving. It's hard to grasp what Jesus has done. And he calls us into that same fellowship. That though we're rich, we become poor so that others might become rich. That others benefit from our lives and from the things that God has entrusted to us. You can see giving is so much more than giving to a particular church. It's life. It's heart. And Paul says in verse 10, you guys started... You made a commitment, now keep it. And I think the same thing. You don't make a commitment to a church. You made a commitment to the Lord. You started, now it's time to complete it. Continue on. Don't hold back. He says in verse 12, notice, For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he doesn't have. This is balancing back what he said earlier as he was giving in verse 3, they gave beyond their ability. You're like, well, how do you, what do you mean give my beyond my ability? Well, Paul's explaining now. Look, there, there'll be times where you give, just God speaks to you, give more than you think you can. Not, not, not like those guys on TV, remember, just, oh, just put on your credit card. Not that kind of stuff. But where you're just like looking, you're, you're looking at, man, God has put this need before me. This is all we have. But, you know, we have a little bit extra. And you just give beyond your ability. He's not asking you so that you perpetually become poor so everyone else is rich because he balances us over here where he says it's not you don't you're not giving according to not what you don't have he says 
I don't mean that others should be eased and you burdened. Because that's what guilt trips will do to you. When you're always moved and, and pressed upon with guilt trips, the people that are susceptible to guilt trips always seem to be struggling because they're always helping someone else out and they're not recognizing they need to build a foundation so that their needs are met. So that they can have a foundation for which to give. It's very important that there's a foundation laid where our family's taken care of, the food's on the table, we're faithful at work so that we can be in a better place to give. As a matter of fact, Paul would tell the Ephesians that one of the reasons why God has given you a job is not just to provide for the needs of your home, but to help other people. It's part of the giving heart. So Paul's balancing this here. You have the willing mind. Your giving is accepted. Verse 12. Not according to what one, uh, according to what one has, not according to what he doesn't have. I don't mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that 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 their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. Remember, they're helping the church that's suffering in Jerusalem. It's a gift that's going back. The, the church in Jerusalem suffered greatly after the persecution where the believers went out and the, the gospel went to the Gentiles and churches exploded all throughout the Gentile world, but the church in Jerusalem suffered greatly. Paul's, you, you want to, this phrase equality in verse 14, you want to mark it, not so much the word equality, but the phrase now at this time. Because some have come to this passage and, and explained it in a way that Paul is teaching a communistic type of thought where we just put everything into a pot and we're all, you know, some people work hard and some people don't work at all and we'll just all share equally. That's not what Paul's teaching here at all. It's not what the Spirit of God is impressing upon his heart at all. He's saying, look, there's a struggling church right now. You guys are doing really well. Help them out. You said you would. Finish it. It's that simple. You even started. And now it's time to complete it. They could really use the help. And so he says in verse 15, as it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Remember, man, remember the, the miracle of manna? It was a provision of God, took care of all the people. It's beautiful. A willing mind. So the willing heart is combined now with a willing mind, and they work together. It's not a measurement. As we approach this grace of God with the mindset of how little I can give and please God, you'll miss the point. Because a lot of times you look at it, go, okay, 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 I'm okay. So how little can I give and God will be happy? What's the bare minimum? Just give me the number, Pastor. But you see, that's not the number. There is no number given by the Lord in the new covenant. There is no number laid down. There is no emphasis upon the tithe in the New Testament. Go ahead and study for yourself. Show me where it is. Tithing is an old covenant principle and a very important principle and was used greatly to provide for the needs of the temple and of those that served in the temple and the needs of the community. But by the time you come to the New Testament, the tithe is no longer used. Now it's giving out of the abundance of what you have. Now it's giving faithfully. And some will approach the tithe and say, okay, if tithing is it, then that, is that the bare minimum? I mean, if I hit the tithe every month, will God be pleased? I would say this. God will be pleased if you give from the heart. If you don't give from the heart, then, I mean, I can't, speak from, I can't speak for God in terms of how well-pleased he'll be in your giving, but I can tell you this. The Bible says that you and I need to give from a willing mind and a willing heart and not measuring it out so we can find out how little we can get away with. That, that's the way we used to live. Now, as New Testament 
new covenant, the spirit of God in us, the spirit of God upon us. We're not so interested in measuring anymore. Measuring in money. You know, Jesus will use the same principle when he teaches on forgiveness. So how many times do I need to forgive? 70 times 7. Go do the math. I mean, he was given a number that was just ridiculous. How, how, how could you possibly keep track of 490 times? I mean, I guess you could if you wanted to, but that wasn't the point. It's not a numbers thing. He gave such an outrageous number that it's not... He even gave a math problem. So those of you that aren't good at math, you don't know, I went on, what am I supposed to do? I don't even have an abacus, you know? I don't know. Yeah, that's the point, because forgiveness, like giving, is a heart matter. Well, how should I pray? How often should I pray? Well, just in this manner, pray. How often should I fast? Well, when you fast, do this. They're all matters of the heart. When you give, don't give so everybody sees. Give it between you and the Lord. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is. It's all a matter of the heart. And it's not something to approach. How little can I give? For them, they were already giving to support their local congregation. And now they were being called to give to support a hurting congregation in a time of their abundance. And I don't think for a minute that everyone in that congregation was doing well. Most of the New Testament church were in difficult. Most of the people in the New Testament, early first century church, were really wrestling and struggling with life. Barely able to make it themselves. I'm not quite sure what abundance it would equate to, but they had more than they needed. And they helped. And Paul calls them to that. So now verse 16, notice he says, But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent him, with him, the brother, whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. Now, this is one of those verses that I've skipped over before, and this time it just hit me. I wonder who this brother is. Titus gets named, but not this guy. All we get is a description. We're sending with him the brother. So, what's, so the question is, who is this brother? And what's the answer? We don't know. How do you know? Because the Bible doesn't say. It's that simple. You know how many times you ask a question that that's the answer the Bible doesn't say? I have no idea. That's the Bible answer. Who is this brother? We don't know. Commentators guess. But for us, we just need to rest. It's just this brother. He's nameless. Sometimes that's exactly what's going to happen with you. Especially in the context of giving, where you may expect some, some notoriety or some appreciation. Or, and I think it, it, it's not necessarily sinful or anything. It's just like you, it, there's an expectation. And instead, you're just anonymous. You don't get any notoriety. You get nothing. And it's good sometimes to have that happen to you. Where you just gave unto the Lord and God reminded you, I thought you gave to me. Yes, I gave to you, Lord. Because I know in some churches they do, they do have plaques and things all over the place of everything's donated by so-and-so and such and such. And I'm sure if you have came from a church like that, you've walked around here and go, man, nobody gives here. <laughs> there are no plaques or nothing here. But for us, we just want to give all glory to the Lord. And I'm sure for some of you, you, because of your faithfulness in giving, there could be a great plaque or we could put in memory of someone. We could do that. It would be great. But it's not about us. It's about him. And your reward is in heaven. And just like this brother. Who is this brother? We have no idea. But we do know that he went with Titus. 
and his praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, verse 19, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. Avoiding this, that if anyone should blame us in this lavish gift, which is administered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he's, our, he's my partner and fellow worker concerning you. And if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and our boasting on your behalf. This is such a beautiful, practical passage of Scripture that if in your, in your devotional time, you may completely miss the importance of what was done here. The money, because that's what was being given, money, was needed to be delivered from point A, Corinth, all the way back to Jerusalem. It needed to be taken and picked up at point A and delivered. It couldn't be wired. You know, you can't, there was nothing like that. It needed to be physically held, physically carried, and physically delivered. And it needed to be picked up at point A, which was a certain amount, and it needed to be delivered to Jerusalem, that exact certain amount, not a penny more, not, not a mite more, not a mite less. And so what did they do in order to assure that there was a true testimony and assurance that what was picked up in Corinth was delivered in Jerusalem? They sent godly men as witnesses. They didn't, allow, they didn't allow Titus to handle the money alone. Did you get that from this section? They didn't just send one brother, they sent two. Which tells us it was probably a large sum of money. And Paul's telling him, look, these guys are trustworthy. I know them. I've served with them. You guys don't know them. But if they ask, if you ask about Titus, some of them knew Titus, if they ask about you or they ask about the brethren, just understand, these are godly, faithful men. They're trustworthy, all of them. You can trust them. Hand them the money. It'll get delivered to Jerusalem exactly as it was handed over. This is a principle that we have held to in this church from day one. There is no opportunity for anyone to be alone with the money in this church. And if there is anyone alone, they have bypassed all the systems that we put in place and deceived us and lied to us and ripped us off. This is very, very important. Because not only do we need to live spiritually, but we also have to live practically. This is godly, this is, this is what you would call godly common sense. So it doesn't matter if it's a penny or a million dollars. There has to be accountability. There has to be more than one person handling the resources of the church. And so Titus and these brethren, they come to Corinth to collect the offering. And Paul wisely, he says it straight up. He says it right here. He says... Verse 20, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift. Another way of saying that is that anyone accuses us, if anyone throws some wild accusation against us, there are witnesses. Now, you can choose not to believe the witnesses, but there are witnesses to say that can testify to the truth of the matter. And let me say this, friend. If you've been a believer for any length of time, accusations will come against you. If you've been a spiritual leader for any length of time, accusations will come against you. And it's always good 
to have witnesses in and around your life that can testify to the truth when accusations come. You know, the devil is called the accuser of the brethren. And the Bible says that he's there before uh, heaven accusing them day and night. Anyone been accused of anything that was untrue in their life? Yes or no? So I want to make sure everybody's with us and you're not all jet lagging with me. How does it feel? Wouldn't it have been nice to have someone to stand in the gap for you? And maybe you did have someone stand in the gap and they didn't even believe them. Just part of life. But I'll tell you this. Maybe, maybe the witnesses in your life are more for you than they are for them. So you can get a good night's sleep with a clean conscience. Because accusers tend to always accuse. And any answer doesn't seem to satisfy them. Even the truth of many witnesses doesn't satisfy them. And I find that witnesses really can help you get a good night's sleep with a clean conscience. Because you know, like Titus, I picked up this amount in point A and I'm delivering this amount in point B. And I don't care what you accuse me of because I've surrounded myself with brothers and they had this, this stuff hasn't left their sight. And I just know between me and the Lord that what you're saying is untrue or like Nehemiah told his accusers, you're making this stuff up in your heart. I don't even know where it's coming from. You're just making it up. It's not true. And I love this godly, practical. Like you, you've got to open your eyes when you're reading through the scriptures and not miss this kind of stuff. Because sometimes, like Jesus said in Matthew 18, how to resolve conflict, that second step, if the first step one-on-one doesn't work, you need to take witnesses with you. Because if they don't receive you and witnesses, then you're going to have to take the leadership of the church. If they don't take the leadership of the church, uh, then they have to be removed from the church. But all along the way, you're not going to be alone. You're going to have people with wisdom alongside of you, standing in the gap. And this is a step of wisdom that we have adhered to and will continue to adhere to at Calvary. When we moved here uh, from California to plant the church, we brought with us the principles of a document that's known as the Modesto Manifesto. Anybody hear of that? Now, I've mentioned it many times before, and I'll mention it here again. We brought these principles with us that were given to us at Calvary Chapel in Downey by my pastor. And, and there were principles that the Billy Graham Association put together because with all the, the tragic news of pastors and spiritual leaders falling due to gross and immoral sin, those that were in the Billy Graham Association decided, you know, we need to set up safeguards in our ministry so we don't follow the same path of all these other evangelists that are ripping people off and taking advantage of people. That's not going to be the course of our ministry. And we need to put things in place to protect even us protect the ministry even from us if we ever get into the flesh and they were in the city of modesto for a gathering for an evangelistic crusade and that's why it's called the modesto manifesto because this is where they sat down and they put principles to paper so that they could say okay we voluntarily we voluntarily commit to follow these principles in the ministry and you know everyone that comes on staff here everyone that takes even a penny of the tithes and offerings here to support their family is asked to support and and commit to the Modesto Manifesto um, because we don't see any other way around it. And if they don't want to commit to it, then maybe this isn't the place for them to serve Um, because these are principles that will help us in even our weakest times. Let me me give you a couple of them. Number one, there's a principle in the Modesto Manifesto. uh, Let me give you what Billy Graham did and I'll tell you how we apply it here. The first one that he had was to never exaggerate attendance figures at their meetings. You know, there's a phrase uh, that's used within the church world, and they'll say something like this, well, evangelistically speaking. And what they mean by that is some exaggerated number. You know, how many people were at your church? 
10 million. Dude, there were like five people there. Yeah, but it felt like 10 million, you know. And they said, you know what? We're not going to lie about who, if, if five people were there, then five people were there. That's who God brought. For us, the principle for us is we are going to guard against lying and deceit in the ministry. We're just not going to lie. We're not going to emphasize lying. The Bible tells us not to lie. It's one of the top ten. And we need to lay that before us that we want to guard in our lives against lying and deceit. Secondly, they decided, the Billy Graham organization did, that each of the people on uh, a part of his team would take a fixed salary from their organization. Because in those early days, what the evangelists would do is they would hype up everybody to give and they would just take money right out of the bucket and put it in their pockets. And so that's why they would hype everybody up because the more people gave, the more money they make that night. For Billy Graham, he said no. No, whatever offering goes in uh, to the bank and then the leadership of our organization will determine a fixed salary and that's what we have. And that's the same principles that we have here. The salaries are fixed by the leadership, by the board of the church. There, there is no, if it's a big giving or whatever, it's like it, that, that offering belongs to the Lord and any salary that's received by anyone here has been fixed and agreed upon and that becomes a guard against financial stealing and thievery. You don't want to put yourself in that place. Another one that's very important is they they committed never to be alone with, and these were men, um, but it would apply for women on the opposite, never to be alone with a woman of the opposite sex um, with the exception of your mom or your wife or your daughter. And this would be a guard against sexual sin. And some people are like, well, what do you mean? Like, I can't ever be alone? Be reasonable. You know, I, I, when I was working in the world, most of my staff were female. And so I had to uh, talk to them about their performance or pay raises and stuff. So I'd have to have them in my office for a meeting. You can't have an open meeting with an employee, but my door was always open. I didn't close the door. Or in some cases, some of my offices, I had these big windows. You know, you have those offices where they're just all windows. I just pull the blinds. And that way everybody can see this is what's going on and I'm not alone. And if you walk through the offices here or you see any of the... Doors heal, you'll notice that there's a window on every door. That's not only a guard for the pastors, but it's also a guard for any of the kids here. That there's very, that there, there are very few places here, uh, if any, where you can go where there's not a window uh, that you can see through uh, in the door. Because we not only want to be protected from any accusation, but be protected from the flesh and be, protect the kids and just walk in wisdom. And so we don't want to be alone with a woman other than our wives or our daughters. And, and I, would, I would expect, you know, if you saw me, um, you know, at Costco uh, with a, a gal by myself walking up the aisle and looking weird, I would expect you to run over and go, dude, because by that time I'm in trouble. You know, that would be a horrible thing. I mean, that would be, that would be the worst. You go, what are you doing? Who is this? I'm like, what are you talking about? It's my mom, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> But we want to guard against being in a place because I can tell you every person that's committed adultery has been alone with the other person. Great safeguards there to have in place so we don't fall into sin. You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. If you joined us late or would like to hear this message again, turn to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or you can listen through our app, too. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. If you take a brief moment to write or call, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to and if today's study was a blessing to your life. We'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through our new website at AboundingGraceRadio.com by clicking on Contact. 
Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of The Third Option by Miles McPherson. In it, Pastor Miles speaks out about the racial divisions in today's world and encourages us to see people as God sees them. It contains awesome practical takeaways and exercises to help you understand the points of views of others. I think you'll also be inspired and encouraged to make positive changes in our country, starting with yourself. Again, ask for a copy of The Third Option when you call today at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Your generosity helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. We're constantly hearing from listeners that have been helped and are growing by God's abounding grace. Thank you for standing with us. Making a donation to the ministry is easier than ever, as you can now do so through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Tell a friend about these daily studies, and then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from 2 Corinthians. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.